This is Hitting the Mark. Conversations with founders about the intersection of brand clarity and startup success. With your host, brand strategist and author, Fabian Geierhalter. One of the things that we've done every step of the way is basically break every rule. Um, that's everything from mixing spice and truffle to making custom packaging to using an Instagram account to do your your primary source of marketing. I mean, we've really done nothing that a previous CPG brand has done, at least in this kind of era. Um, and every step, it's been a rule break, a rule break. Oh, you can't do that. Oh, you shouldn't do that. Oh, why would you do it this way? And it's like, basically what we stand for is like, Kind of ignoring the 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 consensus and thinking in our own way. Um, if you could boil that down to one word, I'm sure there's words to describe that. But I think what we do best is responsibly break rules and, and, and do it in a way that it act. we actually come out on the other side with a new rule. This was Nick Eccelloni and Nick Gian, the co-founders of Truff. You must have been on a social media diet to not have stumbled upon Truff's masterfully designed array of truffle-infused sauces. But Truff is not solely a social media sensation. You can find the brand anywhere from Whole Foods to Neiman Marcus and the US to Australia. The two co-founders, Nick and Nick, have a knack for brand building. And now that I have tried the products, which of course, in true Truff style, they immediately shipped my way after recording the interview, I can attest that this is not just hot marketing. This is one unbelievably addictive and tasty and also very unique product. And I am thrilled to have them on the show today to share their branding and marketing secrets with you. An episode I would not want anyone to miss out on. But before we dive in, I'd like to thank the latest supporters of the show. Mohamed Firoz from Kerala, India for joining on the Golden Circle level. And Liesl Capewell from Stockton on Tees in England for joining us on the Creative Entrepreneur Circle level. If you enjoy the show, advertising free and you want to keep it that way, please show your support by going to patreon.com slash hitting the mark to see the different ways in which you can join us. And now, without further ado, over to my inspiring conversation with Nick and Nick. Welcome to the show, Nick and Nick. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks for having us. I can say Nick and Nick over and over. <laughs> that, it's like, that should have been your brand name. Nick and Nick, you know, hot sauce. It wouldn't fit on the bottle, so we had to make it smaller. And that's it, <laughs> exactly. Um, so you guys are, I mean, it's just an insane story. So you made the 2020 Forbes 30 under 30 list. Um, Edweek just named uh, Truff the best brand born out of social media. Oprah, um, who's a big fan, I heard, put your hot sauce on her favorite things list, which, of course, catapulted you into Amazon. Um, and you can find Truff in, in small grocery stores, right? Gourmet stores. You can find it in the large ones, Whole Foods and Irwins of this world. But um, also high-end department stores like Neiman Marcus, which isn't your usual um, kind of uh, you know place where you look for hot sauces. Um, I would describe your brand, and this is how I like to start it, where I tell you who you are. <laughs> no, I would like to describe <laughs> your brand being kind of like one part social media, one part beautiful, affordable luxury design, and one ginormous part of gourmet truffle-infused sauce. But what will make our listeners' heads explode, like it did with mine when I learned more about you guys, is that... When, when I would tell them that you got the Instagram handle at sauce, and after that, you thought, well, um, now we better start selling sauce. <laughs> so that, that was kind of how it got started, right? I mean, t tell us that story a little bit of how this all came, came together. For sure. So back in college, uh, that's where Nick and I met, we were super immersed in everything that was going on in the social media world. We were both really geeking out on CPG at the time. Um, Nick had a powdered beverage brand and I had a you know hat company. And 
we were constantly just looking at these emerging brands and products um, that were blown up, you know, on social media. And I happened to get the the handle sauce um, organically one day and I hit Nick up and I said, Hey, let's do something with this. <laughs> and that's it. And that's the founding story, period. <laughs> and that's how CPG brands are started these days. Um, I guess so. <laughs> and I mean, come on, it's completely nuts because you have an amazing, you have an amazing name, right? I mean, you know, I, I, I know there's a lot of talk about Ed Sauce, right? How you got that handle. And that's pretty cool in itself because get, getting Ed Sauce, even back in the day, is not, it was not an easy task, right? I mean, that, that is that is a kind of handle that, um, you know, every huge, company wants to have but um but i mean then you came up with the amazing name you know truff which of course is now jumping ahead in your story but i mean truff would have been an awesome handle too i mean we've got like a five letter name that perfectly describes your product but now you're stuck with sauce so now what now now imagine you would imagine you would put out a mayonnaise for instance <laughs> well we have the truff handle too okay uh, so you you have at that's truff another too. story yeah um, but the name Truff came after the handle sauce. It wasn't for a while until we realized we were going to end up making a truffle infused hot sauce and, and call it Truff. And so sauce very much played, but even if we had Truff at the time, which we didn't, we got it a little while after we would have continued to use the sauce account because of the virality that, that, that account brings us just online and people tagging it and people you know, we're at sauce. And so that's something we've always kind of engineered to be one of our growth hacks. Well, and, and that's how everything started, right? Because you created, you had that sauce and you had absolutely no, you know, no thought of actually starting a, a hot sauce or any kind of truffle sauce uh, type of business. It was more, it was a really cool Instagram handle that deserved some, you know, cool, cool content, right? And you guys were just building content around, you know, around, around food and, and, and around cars and around all kinds of things, right? That were kind of, you know, that there were sauce. Yeah, we kind of looked at this account as just a dope platform um, for us. And we were putting out content that we thought was saucy. Um, and we started to you know, grow this following over a short period of time. And you know, some celebrities started following us. And it was kind of turning into a thing. And that's where we're like, hey, let's, let's do something bigger. You know, let's actually create a sauce for this platform we're building. And that's when, you know, we looked at the hot sauce category. It was a category that was absolutely on fire. It was very relevant in pop culture. And we were both big hot sauce people. You know, hot sauce is cool. Um, and we saw a lot of opportunity. We didn't see any top shelf hot sauce brand that existed on the market. No one was really going premium. Uh, there weren't any brands going direct to consumer. Everyone was building their brand in retail setting and none of these brands really were doing anything crazy on social media. Um, so we kind of like saw those three lanes and decided to go all in on all of them. So at the, at the time where you said, okay, we've got a good amount of followers. Let's, let's actually do something. Let's actually create a sauce. How many followers did you have at that time before you, before you, you know, changed to becoming a retail brand? I don't remember exactly. I think it was anywhere between like 12 and 15,000. Okay. But it was over the course of just like a couple of months. It wasn't like many years. It was, it was very quick. And then I learned that then you actually went dark, right? I mean, you basically said, okay, we're going to change this now from being this, this, you know, this, this curated portal to actually becoming, becoming a, you know, <laughs> hot sauce uh, brand. You actually went dark for a while before you slowly started teasing it out. Tell us a little bit about, about the strategy behind that, because you would think usually it's like, well, let's keep everyone entertained until we have the product, but you did the opposite. Yeah, I think the thinking was we didn't want to keep leading people down the path and di keep digging ourselves a bigger hole when we knew we were going to essentially pivot into more of a brand-oriented account. So the thinking was, you know, we're not we're not losing followers really. We're just not growing the account, but we're also not leading people down this path of 
um, you know, competitors expecting <laughs> with, yeah, what this account is going to be in, you know, having it mature into more of a blog and then one day pulling the plug. But I think more so is also our time was being, I mean, to grow the account, I know it sounds like, oh, just post pictures, but it was basically a job. I mean, Nick and I were spending maybe six, seven hours a day finding content, you know, and like curating the account. And so our time was then spent on actually building the brand at that time. So it was like, there's only so many hours and we didn't really see it as productive. Makes tons of sense. Absolutely. And you're the you're the second major, um, and I, I call it major, but now major CPG breakthrough startup that I heard of that um, that started with an Instagram handle celebrating a category to then slowly taking over that handle with a product. Um, the other one is Yes Way Rosé, which is <laughs> which is a totally opposite brand. It's 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 it, it was mm. all celebrating. I, I don't know if you're familiar with them, but they were celebrating you know rosé wines and the whole culture around it, which is all pink and all happy, right, and all by the pool. Um, and then they actually learned how to be winemakers and they started creating Yes Way Rosé, which now is one of the best-selling rosés in the U.S. And, and it's pretty amazing. And they too, they kind of started with just, you know, just that they went down the line of like, hey, here's some tote bags with Yes Way Rosé on it and all of that. And then they, but you said, well, we're not going to, we're not going to do any merch. We're actually going straight into, into a product. Now, my, my question is the following. Um, when you take these months to get to know your tribe, which is an amazing competitive advantage uh, to, to most traditional um, companies, how did you use that tribe? How did you use, and I mean use in a, in a positive way, um, how did you use your followers for, for R&D? I mean, I'm sure that at some point it must have come in handy that you suddenly have a ginormous focus group of tens of thousands of people to, to kind of like test, test product or sentiments with. So we actually did not tell anyone that we were even building this brand and this product. It came about maybe publicly five days before the actual launch when we started to tease it out for the first time. So all of this work was going on behind the scenes. None of the followers on the account knew we were even building a product. Some of our closest friends didn't even know what we were doing. We kept it very tight. And then once we started to tease it out, you know, five days up until the launch, we started getting a lot of chatter. Hmm. And then when we launched, it just kind of like went crazy. And so at this point, when you when you come out with new products, which which you are, um, do you do you use your audience? Uh, do, do you do you find inspiration from them? Do you ask them questions what they like? Um, do you get any R&D out of that? Or you basically, you go with the same idea where you surprise them and you already know, you already know enough about what could or could not work. Yeah, I think with new products, it's, it's a big combination of different things. Um, we always listen to the audience and see how they're using trust. There's so many kind of data points just looking at uh, people tagging us or posting us and you know their stories or things we see online or our VIP group on Facebook it's it's pretty good way to get a consensus of like the vibes that are going on on the truff front um, like with mayo for example people were mixing like truff and like aioli together and it's like okay and <laughs> pasta you know a lot of families were using truff um, and so it's kind of like we do definitely see what our customers are using and liking and kind of take that into consideration. But that's just one of many data points. And that makes so much sense. And I, I always tell, I always tell, you know, founders and CMOs that their focus group is on social media. I mean, everyone is there. You can just, I mean, it's just data that you can just get right out of there. You know, who yeah. are these people? Who do they follow? Who else do they like? Oh, you know, like what do they, what do they fall into? And you're so right. I mean, with you expanding into mayonnaise and, and pasta sauces, let's talk about this for a second because it's so, it's so logical. It's such a natural step, but as long, you know, so, so this is the interesting thing, right? As long as whatever you expand into has the name inspiration of truff, so, so truffles in it, right? It's, it's basically good to go. Um, but having a name like truff, which I think is awesome, um, it's, it's a great choice to quickly have people understand that you're all about truffles, but it also limits your expansion abilities a little bit, right? So you're basically stuck with two things, sauces and truffles, even though 
mayonnaise is not technically a sauce, it's a spread, but it still works under add sauce, right? But what I'm trying to figure out is, was that something that you deliberately chose to do, um, to, to go with, with truff? Um, and, and would you recommend that direction to a startup founder as there are definitely benefits, but there are also shortfalls to that kind of, you know, descriptive naming <coughs> strategy? I think it depends on the brand you're trying to build. I mean, I wouldn't say we're pigeonholed into sauces and truffles. I I think we're definitely a truffle brand. And so everything we would put out would have a truffle element. Um, I think, though, you can look at, I mean, there's so many different examples. Like, look at Red Bull. You can say all they are is can be is an energy drink. But energy drinks are very wide and broad. And there's, you know, so many points of distribution and so many use cases of an energy drink. Um, I think a lot of brands try to come out and be all things for all people. And they make, you know, 10, 20 products overnight. And they have this flavor, that flavor, this version, this, that. And it's like, we're, I think we're a little bit more like one bold stroke marketers where we're very um, focused and detailed on doing one thing and doing it incredibly well uh, before even thinking about another thing. Um, and so, you know, if, if, if our imaginations are going to limit our brand just because we have to incorporate truffle into the product, um, not that it's not an honor to, I mean, we, we want to incorporate truffle. It's such an incredible experience that that's the whole you know premise. Um, but I don't think there's really any limitation to what we can really create um, that incorporates truffle. I think I think I always think this is so fascinating, right? Because you start with a name and the name signifies one thing and it's even in the name Truff Truffles, right? And then over time as you build your brand and as you start expanding into other products, which which right now you're not, basically, right? Everything is still truffle at its heart. But if you would, um and seeing at the speed that you're currently going, I mean, there might be something in the future, right? Um, that in the end you're gonna stand not for truffles, but you're gonna stand for, you know, high luxury, uh, you know, affordable, affordable luxury, you know, high-end ingredients, um, you know, great customer service, whatever you stand for as a brand by then, which already kind of like morphed away from, well, we're all about truffles, right? So, so, so you're right, you can actually morph it into, into um, something as your brand progresses. Totally. So um, let's talk about, let's talk about the design. I mean, design, you're, you're such a design forward brand. Um, has it been like that from day one? Because obviously you're, you know, if you look at hot sauces, you know, most of them just slap a different label on it and, you know, and they're a commodity in my eyes, right? I mean, there, there's so many, there are these hot sauce stores where you literally have like 60 different hot sauces, but you know, then you look at, at someone like Cholula and they have their wooden top screw cap and it's really cool. Um, and I just told my wife the other day, I'm like, it's kind of neat how that's their, their brand, right? And it's because it's rustic and it's wood. It feels like, oh, made in Mexico. It has a little bit of the traditional feel. And that's it. And, and you have a similar concept um, with the cap, where the cap is inspired by the truffle roots. Um, and it's got this super cool geometric shape. Um, and you're taking that shape even on, on, on the flat tops now for, um, for, I don't know if that's a term, flat top. That sounds like a shoe. But, you know, like on the flat aluminum uh, tops of your, of your pasta sauces, um, it still has that geometric um, you know, kind of like design element. When did you introduce this design forward language? Was it literally from day one and you just said, you know what, we're going to spend a good amount of money on getting custom custom molds and custom dyes and doing the gold foil and all of that good stuff? Or did that come over time? For us, out of the gate, we wanted to bring something to market that wasn't necessarily a minimum viable product. We wanted to bring to market something that was ready for the world to see. So for us, in looking at the category, we saw a lot of the things that you just mentioned. You know, there was a lot of these great sauce brands that had great product, but they didn't necessarily have packaging that differentiated themselves from their counterparts on the shelf. So for us, we wanted to not only have an amazing, great tasting product and recipe, but we also wanted to have a beautiful offering that was packaged in something that hadn't really been seen before. Um, so we spent a lot of time before launch developing the branding, the packaging, the engineering of um, the cap. And even our bottle is custom. If you look at the bottom of 
truff bottles it has truff embossed into the glass mm -hmm. that's and and so were you were you um uh, funded at that point uh were you funded from the get-go or was it uh self-funded there's been like a few different phases of truff i think the first maybe year and a half of nick and i just kind of trying to turn this into something it was just me and nick and credit cards um <laughs> then you know after we decided this is going to be a legit uh you know product brand we got a small little team together and you know we, we put a little bit of money in um it was a very small negligible amount of money compared to what you'll read about in any other race ever <laughs> um but it's all it was all been i mean we've been probably the scrappiest brand you could imagine in cpg um you know and the amount we've raised versus how well we've been able to grow is is kind of wouldn't believe us if we told you that's awesome well and that's and that's how any brand that starts with an instagram handle should grow <laughs> i think that makes a lot of sense yeah i think i mean we see it all the time there's a really common theme of raise 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 grow 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 valuation x y and z and it's like it allows you to I mean, A, there's really no need. If you're if there's a true need or true white space, you know, it should grow itself. Um, but when you you're forced to think in a scrappy manner, you do things and you think in ways that money can't buy. It's you have to really, you know, build something brick by brick. It's like you become resourceful and you think, you know, I would say more creatively and more impactfully and you know, I would encourage people to spend $20 on a book that can open their eyes to ways they should approach their market versus 200 grand on a marketing campaign. Yeah, um, and you're obviously, a, you're obviously hinting at my book here and I really appreciate it. Right. Exactly <laughs> what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, marketers in action. No, but Shameless I totally, <laughs> no, but I totally, I, I totally agree. Right. I, I, some of the most um, mesmerizing founders that I have on this show, um, they all did it that way where they basically, they were super resourceful, everything. It, it was a passion project that, um, that turned into something that, uh, you know, that really didn't change. It just happens to be a passion project with a hundred thousand, you know, followers and consumers in tow. Right. But that idea that you really, really care. And I know that as a brand, you guys are really about authenticity. And to me, this is so interesting because when I first saw Truff, I'm like, oh, wow, it's an internet brand. I see them everywhere. Oh, my God, go away again, right? And then I'm like, well, this looks really interesting and this is a really cool design. And then, and then when, when, when we hear your story and we hear all of it, it is authentic, right? But it's just the minute that you're on Instagram and you're an ad, you're already kind of like stamped as, you know, like, well, that's, that's not authentic. And on that note, and I think this is this is this is even more mind-blowing in in the way that you actually um created your brand, you never paid a single influencer. Is that correct or is that wrong? Yeah, so when we launched Truff, we were just very resourceful and we had a nice seating list of our existing partners that, you know, we had um, put together for launch. But after that, it was essentially Nick and I in the DMs, just hitting people up, asking them if, you know, they wanted to try our product. And was always, we've always been very value first. We've never asked anybody of anything. Um, we just wanted to get our product into as many people's hands as possible. And if they like the product, if they, um, thought it was cool if they enjoyed it then you know they would post on social media and that's always kind of been one of our guiding principles when working and developing these relationships with people of influence hmm. I really like this. I so so you literally it's basically, it's basically the Costco sampling. <laughs> it's like you know like have some free product if you like it sure you're going to buy it and you're going to buy it in bulk and you're going to tell your friends about it. It's just that it's on the on you know on social media and you obviously you know target at the people that you feel are you know could become part of your tribe and you have some shared shared you know like you know few points or values or and of course they just happen to come with a boatload of followers. Um Really, really cool. Um, 
I just talked with uh, with the founder of Saltberg, which is a which is a which is a, um, a really amazing salt brand in Iceland. Um, and it took him quite some time until Noma in Stockholm, which I believe is either number one or number two restaurant in the world, until Noma actually finally approved and started serving his sea salt. But he literally went back every month and he's like, here's the new variation of the salt. Do you want it now? Right. Um, and I love these. I love these stories. Right. And, you know, like when when did your sauce actually start gaining traction and endorsements in the industry? I know I know legends like Chef Ludo is, is you know, are, are talking and, 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 you know, quite frankly, promoting your brand. But I'm especially interested because there was a time where truffle oil, and I know this might be very different, but truffle oil was very frowned upon by many chefs, right? And there was kind of like this preconceived notion of, well, truffle oil is not good. And you, what you guys are doing is, is completely on the opposite, where everyone is just going crazy over it being so gourmet. Yeah, so our truffle system is not just tr is truffle oil. We actually have a real black truffle, you know, black winter truffle in every bottle. And that's Big something. Big difference, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And even if you do look at our truffle essence, it's actually made from, you know, real black truffle components. And it's, we we, we understood kind of the, the kind of gray area in the truffle space. And we kind of learned a lot about it as we developed the product. And, you know, first and foremost, we were not willing to <clears throat> not be as high quality, authentic as possible. So we put that first. Um, and, you know, the lengths we go to, to ensure quality is pretty, pretty incredible. And so I, I think one of the reasons that we've been able to like, not, not get looked down on or whatnot from these big names is because of that. And, you know, the other thing is, if you just taste the product, it's pretty good. It's pretty incredible. So, so, so I so, so I heard. So I heard. Yeah. It's and, not and usually Instagram brand. I mean, look, Nick, usually I prep. Means. Usually I prep for this and I would have I would have uh, been having tons of trough sauce. But I, I, I just somehow totally spaced out because I was so busy and I never got to it. But I will right after this, I will definitely um do it. Because I, I read so much about you guys now and everyone who tries it is just like this is unbelievable. So um there you yeah, don't have to tell us first. everyone tells us yeah exactly yeah absolutely yeah i mean if you if you don't have the good it's kind of like conor mcgregor in his early fighting days it's like he was a lot of talk but he was sleeping people in five seconds and so we've always kind of looked at that as a metaphor to like we can't just have great marketing we need to have absolutely insane products and so we spend the vast majority of our time on that that's great Absolutely. Yeah. And, um, and another thing that I wanted to talk about is your loyalty rewards. Um, you know, they're, obviously, they're hugely important to to most B2C brands, at least a lot of them are doing it really right. But, you know, just looking at it on your side, I mean, you took it up a notch by giving points for following you on social for writing a review or, or simply for having a birthday. Um, it looks a lot like an airline, if we remember airlines, <laughs> like, like an airline rewards program, <laughs> you know, where, where you compare the perks and the status levels and it goes from silver to platinum. What did you learn from, from starting that rewards experience? I also believe I heard you say earlier on, um, on, on, on the show that you talked about your VIP group in Facebook, which might be linked to this or maybe not. But do you have any tips um, for, 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 for brands on the importance of, of, of starting loyalty programs? So in regards to loyalty and when you're looking at brand, I think for me, you know, brand means the relationship that a company has with their customer. And a lot of brands, I feel, either do a really good job at making sure they've continued to build this community and nurture all of their customers and make sure they're continuing to add value, or they just kind of, you know, don't really look at that as something that's an important driver for their business. And for us, we're always trying to find new ways of adding value to our customer and, you know, people that continue to come back and are loyal to the brand. We want to make sure that we're providing some value back to them. So that's this loyalty program that essentially we put together that rewards customers for repeat purchases and 
also puts them on various tiers um, and gives them the opportunity to refer their friends for uh, you know points that they could then redeem for product. Makes makes all the sense in the world to me. When 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 you look when you look back, um, even though you had a quote unquote competitive advantage uh, when you launched your first product because you had an audience, <laughs> which is already amazing. Um, but looking back, when was that moment when the two of you sat together and you just stared at each other and you're like, "Holy smokes, we're actually moving from a startup to like a real brand." Like this is the moment where we're having our big big breakthrough. And I mean, looking looking through your bio online of where you guys have been and what you accomplished in those few years, there are many of them. But what was it for the two of you where you just sat together and you're like, "Wow, I think I think." This is this is it. <laughs> like we're brand now. I think there's been a few different uh, pegs along the ladder. I mean, I think the first big kind of wow wow moment was I think the Oprah list, and there were a bunch of them. You know, they're all it's all relative. So the first one, it might be someone cool posting, which now probably happens 20 times a day. But back then, it was like, oh my god. And so it, you kind of get used to that side. And then I think the Oprah list was pretty incredible. And then like Good Morning America and The View were pretty crazy. Um, and then, you know, it just kind of catapults and, and snowballs. And you just kind of, I think now as we grow our team, we're, we're, you know, we have an HR department and things like that. that that's kind of a big moment and seeing that we're, you know, we're a pretty legit and big company. Um, but I would say it's all, it's all relative because what something that seems crazy in your, your naivete mind becomes a little bit, you know, more normal as, as things go on, as time goes on. That's awesome. And, and on, on the, on the flip side, you know, um, usually, I mean, not everyone wants to talk about this, but you know, it's not, it's not all, it's not all roses, right? I mean, there's also fails, right? And, um, and especially with a CPG brand, boy, so much can go wrong. I mean, it's like, we're talking about, we're talking about, you know, food, you know, we're talking about containers, we're talking about shipping, we're talking about how does something actually work in the user's hand and all of that stuff. Was there, was there some brand fail where, where you figured, you know what, oops, uh, someone can learn from from this you know like the, we we just we just kind of screwed this one up what was there anything like that where you feel like other founders listening can 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 learn from it we're still failing to this day I, mean, I don't think we've had a day yet since we launched without <laughs> fires yeah. everywhere it doesn't exist these it doesn't exist it's a fairy tale yeah we actually threw away or we discarded our very first run of product because it wasn't right we didn't, I guess, take into consideration all of the sampling we were doing on a small scale um, and how that would translate into a larger scale run. So wow, the finished product wasn't the actual product we thought it would be. And we all just kind of looked at each other like, wow, all right. <laughs> <laughs> how big was that batch? I mean, what, what, what kind of, because the first run could be fairly small, right? In comparison to now, I'm sure it's tiny, but, but how, it, it how wasn't big? a truckload, but it was a decent amount of product. All right. All right. Wow. It, it was a, yeah, it was, it was a tough, but I mean, there's there, the barrier to entry never gets less steep. I mean, every single day, every single thing we do, there's, there's a whole host of hurdles we have to jump through i mean it's standard and if it's not then you know it's eerie right? have a really yeah. <laughs> it's just how it is i mean the world landscape changes i mean think about all the businesses that reliant on the suez canal in the last month and the last couple of weeks yeah. how behind the supply chain is and different routes and factories i mean the the snowball is just insane and it travels worldwide And that was actually a story that that really caught most people off guard because they don't even know. I mean, we all don't know, right? It's like there's this tiny no. little area, and if anything happens, we're all so codependent on it. Um, you know, I, I live in Long Beach here, um, which which I know you you're from. You know, you're, you're from the. I area used to live too. in Long Beach. Oh, there you go. I used to live right right on ocean, and I would look at the port that you're probably going to talk about. That's exactly and I'd right. I'd see one or one or two boats, and now there's one or two hundred boats. 
You just told my story. This is not fun. I know. <laughs> now, now I'm going to have to I tell apologize. your guys a story. <laughs> I apologize. We probably live in the same building. Yeah, but. exactly. Well, our, our office actually used to uh, used to look over over all of that. And yeah, it is crazy. I mean, you see these, I don't know, 40, 50 boats. And, you know, it's... Yeah, and, 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 and why they are there, right? And how everything is interlinked. And I think as running a product company, that's when you really start opening your eyes to all of that, of, of how, how politics and economics and, and society and God, pandemics and how everything uh, works together. And, and one, one, uh, one, one ship that just seems to go sideways can completely ruin the, you know, the economy for a couple yeah, of years. Yeah, the world. Nuts. Yeah. I mean, this day and age, right? It's just completely nuts. Yeah. Um, All right, let's, you know, obviously you guys have, um, you were always interested in branding. Um, you know, it, it was always part of what you did. You both did your your, your own, um, you know, gigs prior to starting Truff. Um, and now, I mean, branding for Truff was, I would say it's one of the key ingredients of the sauce. <laughs> you know, I think that, you know, you, you can fight me because the ingredients are amazing that are in the sauce. And like you said, this is first and foremost. But I do believe that that the brand itself is just so recognizable and you spend so much time and TLC to make it what it is today. Um, what does branding mean to you now versus, you know, four years ago or five years ago where branding might have been a logo? But, but what, what, what does it mean to you now? To me, branding is the relationship that company has to the customer and the emotional connection and making sure that isn't something that ever takes the backseat. Um, you know, branding on the design side, obviously you want to make sure that the product that you're creating, the story that you're telling is very easily communicated to the customer. And Nick and I, we wanted to essentially reverse engineer the design and the brand and the visual for social media. Love that. Um, Nick number two, any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, you could probably have a hundred different conversations on what a brand is or what a brand means. It's exactly what I do actually. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> Exactly. And I think, you know, I think it's ever evolving. I mean, on the surface, I, I like to think of a brand as like a vibe. Like if, if you were to like go to a strip, I mean, if you're, you're going to move to Fullerton, if you go downtown Fullerton, you'll go bar hopping. I know you're not going to do that when you move to Fullerton, but I'm just saying, <laughs> and, but you'll go to each different bar and each bar will have its own vibe, different type of people, different type of energy, different drinks, different aesthetic. It's like, you can kind of count on that vibe at that place. And it's like with a brand and a lot of times you can kind of count on a certain vibe and how that, how they do things and what they stand for and how they like present themselves to the world and the voice that they use and all these different things. And it's just, it's, it's, I would say a lot of times it's an extension of the people um, building the brand. I think, you know, Truff is very much so, uh, a child of our team and everyone involved with it and all of how we are and you know we communicate in ways that you know we want to based on you know our our world outlook and how we want to present ourselves to the world and so i think though that you know the landscapes can decide how a brand should be like think about how often a new like tiktok's the new the new app and the way to build your brand on TikTok would be wildly different than if you're going to build it on MySpace. And so in that, in that sense, you're probably going to, um, you know, that brand's going to be different. And so I think brand is the people behind it, but it's also like the landscape that they're playing in. And so I think marrying the two is like, you know, really, really important. I so agree with that. And, you know, you, you said something, some, something really um, important. You said it's the vibe. And I think, I think that can be downplayed too often, but it's so, it's so important. Um, I drove by a couple of years ago, I drove by a, a, a surf store um, in, in Venice Beach um, and the surf store uh, was broken into. So you could see that the front door was a glass door that it had like wood over it. And they spray painted on the wood. They say, you can't steal our vibe. 
And mm. I just think it's so awesome because, yeah, I mean, you can get, you can take out boards. It's okay. That's not the soul and that's not the vibe, you know, of who we are, right? And it's so much bigger than that. Um, and and so I, I really, I really think that's important. It's, it is a vibe, and I do agree that a lot of it comes from uh, from from the founders in some of the most authentic uh, companies that I see around. Um, talking about authentic companies. Um, uh, you know, and and everything that you just said is like taking that idea of brand and and really thinking about what is that true north, what is that DNA, what is what is that if you would if you would and I love working with with my clients on this is like you know taking taking everything your culture your product your marketing um taking everything through a funnel and out basically comes one word or two words that are all encompassingly telling the story about the brand. And to put this in perspective, um, looking back at some other awesome consumer packaged goods brands that I had on, uh, Jenny of Jenny's Blended Ice Cream, for instance, she said that her brand in one word is flavor, um, which is so simple, but then you think about it, well, it signifies character, right? It's got flavor. And so it, it was actually pretty deep. And then um, Mike from, uh, from Liquid Death, he said uh, that his was mischief. Um, which I thought was super mm -hmm. interesting too. When you when you take the the, the the trough brand and you distill it down, what what could it be? Like what could one or two words be? Yeah, that's a really good question. I, I think we met Mike a couple of times. A great great deal. I think that's a perfect word for their brand. Yeah. Um, yeah. With trough, I mean, I'd have to think about that. Um, I don't know if you have a word off the top of your head, Nick. For us, I mean, like people and quality are two that I think really stand out. Building a building a, a emerging brand in a traditional space, we've had to really focus on quality, but also people, um, and we've gotten very deep on both. I would say, you know, developing relationships organically and authentically with our customers in the hot sauce space, it's a lot different than how these brands were built in the past. And in doing that, we have to back that relationship up with an amazing quality product. And it's, it's not even just product too. It's like all the content that we're putting out, all of the, just everything. Well, I would, I mean, I would even add um, the idea of taste to it, right? Um, because I, I think I think you are, in a way, there's this luxurious part of having your product on the kitchen table, right? It feels elevated. And so it kind of makes me feel like if I put that on my table, I've got taste. And then on the other hand, everything is about taste, right? Um, because even 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 understanding the world of truffle, it, you know, it, it recommends, you know, I mean, it, it deserves some kind of you know, person that has some sort of, you know, taste. And of course it's all about taste with food. Um, uh, yeah, I think the natural place to look is taste, right? Like with Jenny's and flavor. And I think us being food product that you want to highlight taste and, you know, the experience of the flavor. But I think, you know, that's, that's a little bit more on the surface for us. One of the things that we've done every step of the way is basically break every rule. Um, that's, everything from mixing spice and truffle to making custom packaging to using uh, Instagram account to do your, your primary source of marketing. I mean, we've really done nothing that a previous CPG brand has done, at least in this kind of era. Um, and every step it's been a rule break, a rule break. Oh, you can't do that. Oh, you shouldn't do that. Oh, why would you do it this way? And it's like, basically what we stand for is like kind of ignoring the, the, the consensus and thinking in our own way. Um, if you could boil that down to one word, I'm sure there's words to describe that, but I think what we do best is responsibly break rules and, and, and do it in a way that it act. we actually come out on the other side with a new rule. I love that. I love the responsibly, <laughs> responsibly breaking new breaking rules. I think that's really great. Um, 
Very good. Do you um you know do you have any do you have any thoughts for founders uh, startup founders that are just starting out? Um, doesn't need to be in the CPG space, right? Could be in any space. Um, and you know they they basically say branding isn't important, or you know I'm not going to focus on that. I'm going to focus on features first, and I'm going to you know maybe kind of like put that on the side. Are, is there any any brand advice from your end where you say, hey, here are a couple of things that I would definitely make sure to get right, you know, like right off the gate. I think it's it's a very broad question because there's so if it, if we're talking CPG specifically we can get a little more detail but you know there are a lot of businesses where they focus on features I think Evernote is one of them where they spent zero on didn't you have Evernote on yeah yeah didn't they spent spend zero on marketing and everything into product well and and the brand and the actual the actual icon to them was so important so for them the visual yeah. icon became featured in the app store because it was you know well at least that's what they think is that it was that it was really iconic and that kind of but but i agree yeah otherwise yeah yeah and so it's like i think it's all based on what industry and what space you're going after i'd say in cpg cpg specifically like if you walk, if you walk right the fancy food show or Expo West, and you look at all the booths and all the brands, I think a lot of times you'll notice that there wasn't really, or at least it seems like, a ton of thought put into what was created. Whether it's someone wanting to sell their cookies that are just like every other cookie, or someone, you know, making a, you know, whatever a chocolate that's their own chocolate, and they just put it in a regular package, and there's really nothing <laughs> unique about it, and they just want people to buy it. I think a lot of times there there wasn't too much kind of thought put in where it's like, how can we differentiate? Is there a need for my chocolate or cookies? Is what is being done in this category that is not so impressive? And I think really thinking through, um, you know, Nick and I always say sharpening the axe before you go to cut the tree. Like we spent years sharpening the axe, you know, maybe five or six years before we launched this brand. And so it's like really taking a step back and I, think, I know in common culture, it's like move fast, you know, minimum viable product, put it out, raise money, go, 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 go. But, you know, I think a lot of times you only have one real shot to break through. And for us, we're more on the patient reserved. And, and yes, it's a, it's a higher risk because, you know, you might not hit it off right, right out of the gate. But I think a lot of times, a lot of these problems can be solved just with, you know, analyzing things and taking a step back and really thinking through what it is that you're doing. The second thing I would say is stop raising so much money. You <laughs> so don't true. Stop raising. I don't know if I'm going to add to that, Nick. Yeah, raising with an no, RAI and an RAC, right? Both. <laughs> because it kind of yeah. like one goes with the other. It's crazy. These It's crazy what people, how they approach brand building in terms of how much money can we raise. It's crazy. And Nick G, did you want to add anything? No, that was well said. Well, and I mean, also thinking about how you guys got started with at Sauce, you had to find a huge differentiator, and you had to not be one of five thousand, right? So I, I think that coming, going through that entire exercise, um, you you know, you really learned how to differentiate on every single level, which 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 must have been amazing for everything else that you do in in, in the future with the brand. Totally. So talking about the future of the brand, uh, as we slowly wrap this up, uh, what's next for the brand? What are you excited about that you can actually share with us? Because most of it, you most probably can't. But what are you really excited about in the next, uh, let's say, six months? I'm excited about continuing to build out these new categories that we've gotten into. Um, mayo and pasta, really exciting, as well as getting our hot sauce into more people's hands. Yeah, I think we're at a phase where we're kind of, um, you know, with mayo and pasta, these are skews that can be in probably a wider, um, a lot more just points of distribution based on the category and the price points. Um, so really going a little bit wider um, with a couple of our skews. And then, you know, we're building out our team pretty heavily right now. We have some insanely amazing people um, like Michelle, who we've been in contact with that have been helping us steer this ship and, you know, do a lot of things that we just simply don't have the skill set or, you know, resource to do ourselves. And 
um, you know, building out our team has been a blast and it's been, we're learning so much from everyone. Um, and, you know, kind of like we talked about before is like, you know, continuing to turn into a, a big company is it's very exciting. And, you know, there's always, there's always a Rubik's cube in front of you. Um, <laughs> and it's something that, you know, we enjoy and we feed off kind of the energy of it and the challenge of it. Well, we're we're all excited uh, to see to see the brand grow, um, and we're gonna start seeing the brand uh, not only everywhere um, online, but uh, also also in a lot of in a lot of places offline. I think by now, how many stores are you in? Um, we're in we're in about a little under ten thousand. I think I don't have the exact number, and it depends <laughs> on the SKU and whatnot. But yeah. I'd say between seven and and ten thousand. Um, it's growing pretty rapidly. And it's all US only at this point. No, no. That we're, we're relatively international. We have a, uh, a presence in Australia and New Zealand pretty, pretty well. We have a presence in South Korea, the Middle East, Canada, <laughs> and some places in Europe. That's so um, nice. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's been, it's been, very cool to see. We're also making our way pretty heavily into the UAE and Dubai right now. Um, I wouldn't say international is like a major focus and we're not, we're not, you know, trying to build a global brand overnight, but when very cool opportunities arise with individuals that are able to take on the challenge of bringing trust to their country, um, you know, our team in Australia is works really hard and have, have done a great job of, you know, moving quick. Same with our team in Kuwait and, and Korea and whatnot. So it's been, you know, pretty interesting to watch those markets develop. Amazing. And so usually I ask, um, you know, my guests where they can find, uh, you know, the brand online, but with you, it's pretty easy. So <laughs> on Instagram, it's at yeah. sauce and uh, everywhere else, I guess it's Truff, right? Uh, it's Truff.com. And, and that's most probably where they can find um, all the products and, uh, and where they can actually locate them. Check your pantry. It might already be in there. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> I love that. That's the mic drop moment. And with that, we finish. <laughs> and with that, we finish the show. Um, thank you, guys. This was awesome. Really appreciate uh, appreciate your time and uh, sharing sharing your insights with my with my tribe. Thank you so much for having. Appreciate us. you. This this was a fun interview. Quite impressive on all levels. And I do have to say, try out this sauce. It's next level like everything about the brand. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I have the conversation. And if so, please subscribe, rate and share the show. Sounds like something you heard me say before. Well, but have you acted upon it? If not, please do so. Hitting the Mark is produced by my consultancy, Finian, where we create clarity for brand transformations. This episode was edited by Everett Barton and the Hitting the Mark theme music was written and produced by Happiness One. I will see you next time when we once again will be hitting the mark.